We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. This podcast was recorded live at the Stand Comedy Club in Newcastle upon Tyne. Tuesday the 7th of February, thanks to everyone who bought a ticket and came along. We thought it went very, very well, and speaking to many of you after, you seem to enjoy the show. This is the recording of that show. Um, thank you very much to The Stand for hosting us and for providing this. If you live in the northeast and you want a good place to get a bite to eat or watch some live comedy, couldn't recommend those guys anymore. They've been great to True Faith, and we'll look forward to the next live show, which is just after the season ends, and I'll bombard you with information about that closer to the time uh just a quick one from me um we're on patrons three to eight quid a month no adverts on patreon on any of these free shows um and in addition and uh there is a q a uh, part two of this podcast night that we had uh which is exclusively available on patreon uh so come across if you like this part one of the show come across to patreon and listen to part two uh, we'll be back with this free podcast, hopefully when we smash Bournemouth at the weekend. Cheers. It is the True Faith Newcastle United podcast, and the first question I have is for George Calkin. Take us away, George. Newcastle United at Wembley, what does it mean to you? Oh, so you, you, you want the money shot to start with. You need, you need, you need tears. Um, oh, it means everything. It means absolutely everything. Um, it's funny. I think I'm sure in the, in the, in the first one of these we did this season... I sort of talked about the freeness and the easiness and the lightness around the club that there'd been since the takeover, that knowledge that you can go to game. You can't wait to go to the game on a Saturday. Can't wait to be in the stadium. There's that kind of relaxation, knowing that the club's going to get better. And then over the last few weeks, I've had that old... Well, it's not the old tension. Well, it is the old tension. It's the old tension of 15 years ago, 20 years ago, coming back. That tension of, could it be our year? Could it finally be time? Um, and that's been kind of quite difficult to process that tension of will they make it through to the semi and then will they get through that. And in that second leg of the, of the Southampton game, that really strange feeling of, oh no, they're, they're going to fuck this up. <laughs> they're going to fuck this up. And yet again, they're going to fuck this up. And then looking at the scoreboard and seeing there's a two-goal advantage and it's like not being able to compute that. Um, no, it just means absolutely everything. It's, uh, you know, th that... Having a club that can that can fire our dreams again, um, you know. I, uh, if you talk to the to the players that played in that era under 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 Kevin Keegan and Sir Bobby Robson, there was always that sense of 
next year, next year, next year, and the years run out, and we've got that back again. It means absolutely everything. Amazing. In, on the subject of the, the years running out, there definitely was that feel in the late 90s, you know, when you were going to cup finals, it was like a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and... To that end, and I said this to the, the guys before, and we're just off stage there, and you know, I think it's a brave thing to commit to one stage in a room full of Newcastle fans, but it doesn't necessarily matter. It's not as important as you think it is if, if they win this, this game here. You know, all of the, the narrative around it will be of the end, you know, the end of the barren, the barren run. It isn't the end. This is just the start. You know, this is the start of, of, of this version of the football club, and... I was on radio on Thursday night and, you know, looking ahead to a cup final as a Newcastle journalist, which was just a really bizarre experience. And, uh, and I, they said, what's the club like? And I used the word unrecognisable. And I come off there and I thought about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to ban myself from using that word unrecognisable because this club isn't unrecognisable. What I'm seeing now is the club I saw as a boy in the 90s under Keegan. It's the club I saw under Sir Bobby in the early 2000s. It's the club my dad told me about in the, the 70s with Supermac or the early 80s with Keegan or going back further, Jackie Milburn in the 1950s. We all knew this is what this club could be and what it should be. You guys, <coughs> and us by extension, were written off by the same people <coughs> I'm on the radio with, by the way, as <laughs> fantasists, dreamers, harboring delusions of grandeur, but we knew all along that there was something there that needed untapping and unlocking. Where the club was unrecognisable, on reflection, was the 15 years when Mike Ashley was owner. That's when the club wasn't recognisable. What we've got now is the club we wanted back, really, to borrow Kevin Keegan's phrase. And to be going to a cup final, it, it, it's wonderful, it's brilliant. The scramble for tickets is just incredible. You know, the cost of getting there is astronomical. I mean, Alex, if you can stop, what was it, the pledge? Can you bring that back again or not? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, how did that go? Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just going to be such a, a, a brilliant occasion, a brilliant weekend, but if they don't win, it's not the end of the world like it was in the late 90s because this is just the beginning. There will be more cup finals. There will be European football, all the rest of it, but at the same time, let's enjoy it. Three cheers. Just, just to pull you up on one thing, the pledge raised 200 grand for local charities. I know you were part of it, George. The pledge did really well. <laughs> I was going to say three cheers for everyone in the room who booked their train tickets uh, when we drew Southampton. You've all done unbelievably well. <laughs> Craig's getting the megabus, I think, um, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, Keith, same question, mate. As someone who's covered this club on a daily basis for a long time, Newcastle United at Wembley, what does it mean to you? I just can't believe that six months ago almost to the day we were we were sat here talking about the season looking ahead i remember chatting to george and craig and we were kind of arguing whether newcastle were going to finish eighth ninth or tenth and we're saying that's going to be an amazing season fast forward six months you're in the the top four having just moved down from top three you've lost one game all season to a 98th minute liverpool winner and you're going to wembley in 19 days time I mean, you could not, when you actually write it down and you read it like that, you could not ever have envisaged that. And as Craig says, we were just having a chat before, before we came on stage and being a, a Hearts fan growing up, we went through 36 years without winning a trophy. I remember going to Hamden on multiple occasions with my dad, watching him in tears. My first couple of times, I couldn't understand why, why he was crying. 
Firstly, it was my mum's birthday, my wife crying on mum's birthday. Like, I don't and then as I got a bit older, I understood it myself. Semi-finals, cup finals, beaten, beaten. And it, honestly, it's very, very similar to the Newcastle story, other than Newcastle's has lasted significantly longer. What I will say is, whatever Newcastle go on to do, and, and Craig's right, there's, you know, bigger things are, are around the corner. But whatever Newcastle go on to do, you will not get a better day, a better weekend than... Wembley in two weeks' time if you lift that trophy. Because once you reach the top of the mountain, everything obviously is enjoyable after that. But once you end that trophy drought, there is no better feeling. And this is someone who saw Hearts win the Cup in 1998 when I was 18 years old. And then we've won a few trophies since then and nothing has topped that because that is the thing we've waited on for so long. For me, on a, on a personal level, uh, sorry, professional level, um, I mean, I, I almost, I think I've, I've mentioned this before in one of the podcasts, I almost left to go and cover Manchester United a couple of weeks before the takeover happened. Now, ironically, if I'd done that, at least I might have got a ticket for the final. But <laughs> <coughs> had I gone and done that, I'd been covering Man United and watching Newcastle, having been here, you know, covering the club for nearly a decade, it would have been pretty hard to take. So um, I'm glad all that happened. It's amazing to be part of it, even just going out in town on Saturday night for a few beers after the game and everyone wanted to come up and speak about football and making you feel part of it is just such a special feeling, knowing that in the past there was so much frustration that you probably got quite a bit of abuse. It's lovely to see it's gone the other way now and I think the three of us and the rest of the guys covering the northeast area all feel part of that journey as well. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm on the hunt for the rarest of things tonight. Is anyone in this room in period two? <laughs> Any, well, a couple of lads over there. Congratulations. Hope you both get tickets. I got tickets. But, but, Sorted. Uh, before you say, actually, can we just make our pact that no one asks for tickets tonight? Because like the amount of times over the last couple, of, I don't know whether more people have asked me for a ticket for the final or if Shaq's an Arsenal fan. Like I don't know. But. <laughs> But whether, whether, you're in, whether you're in the petrol station or I was in the gym earlier, people come up, you, you're not getting a spare ticket. I don't know where the people think. You've just got tickets in your pocket. Like, I'm struggling to get one myself to go there and work. So um, let's not ask that question. Well, I, I've actually got a mate in the room tonight, a fireman who's got a spare, who's expecting to get a ticket but can't get the day off work because every firefighter in the northeast wants the day off work, of course. So we've said to them, why can't you just put out a tweet just saying, listen, guys, no fires. <laughs> 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 Cats and trees, you can fucking stay there, but no fires. Uh, so yeah, if there are any firemen in, in, the, in the room, I would happily swap shifts from my pal who's got a ticket here. Yeah, give us a shout. Interestingly to me, and I quite like this at the minute, I haven't heard anyone talk about the game, whether that's because it's a few weeks ago, whether we've got important shit to do first against some bad teams, Bournemouth and Liverpool. I, I'm not sure. Let, let, let's talk about the game with these treasured journalists of ours. Um, George, Newcastle v Man United, it happened in 99, it happened in 04, on both occasions we went there, rubbish, essentially, and they were okay, they were, they were good. It's not like that this time, is it? And this, I, I still feel there's a sense of trepidation, no one wants to talk about it, no one wants to think about it. It's very much in the let's all enjoy ourselves stage, but we are going to have to address the fact, are Newcastle United, George, going to win this League Cup? I have to be honest, I haven't given it a moment's thought. I mean, it is quite weird when you put it like that, isn't it? I mean, it, it is that sense of uh, just got to get there. And I'm, I'm now telling myself that it is all about the weekend, as, as, Craig, as Craig, you know, put it very eloquently. It's about, it's about that moment of almost taking a step back, going there with your mates and your family. This is why we do it. This is a special moment that we have to savour because if it does go our way, it is the first one and you all want to be there for that. But... 
also after the past 15 years, it's a chance to, you know, to kind of reclaim the club and the history of the club, all those sorts of things. And I haven't, I haven't given it a moment's thought. I mean, I've had that sort of horrible feeling that it does feel like everything's fitting into place nicely. And so my first reaction as a Newcastle fan is to step back from that and think that means it's going to go wrong <laughs> at the last minute. I can't get away from that. I can't get away from that thought. And I haven't, you know, I, have, I really haven't considered it. Part of the stuff that I've got in my own head at the moment is, is almost a sense of disappointment that I'm going to be in the press box. Um, because if Newcastle win, I don't know what I'll do. And I don't know how. I mean, on, on the one hand, I would love to be able to write about something that good. But on the other hand, I don't know how I'll respond. And I don't want to, I don't want to make a fool of myself. <laughs> and I would like to be, you know, it's something. Just j taking a step back, it was, it was actually something that, um, that you said, Keith. I, I was in the away end. I was in the away end with, with you, Alex, at, at Sheffield Wednesday. And obviously that was a disappointing day. And I, we turned around at one point on you, Charlotte. And um, <coughs> there was this little boy in a strip. And he was about seven, I think. And I think it was his first away game. And as those goals went in, he was crying. <laughs> And, um, you know, you've got that sort of mental image, or at least I have, going back to the Liverpool, famous Liverpool games and, you know, fans, kids crying in the stands and um, sort of turned around and his mum was saying, he's not, he doesn't like losing. He's a Newcastle fan. He's not used to seeing Newcastle lose. And it's like... I can't comp I c How do you compute that? But, of course, he's seven years old. He's not seen Newcastle lose over the last year or... Barely. No, I'm not, I haven't answered your question. I'm sorry. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be incredibly nervous about the game. I wish I was going to be there purely as a fan. I want to just enjoy the weekend and soak it up because in terms of those missing years, in terms of those, sorry, those lost years, the, the, the years going, I look back then and I can't really remember because it happened, it was happening quite often then. Um, fingers <laughs> crossed it happens a lot, uh, you know, a lot from this point, but I just want to, I just want to soak everything up. Well, I have thought about the game, but only for the duration of George's answer. Uh, that, 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 that answer needed a transfer window, didn't it? I, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, thank you for talking as long as you did. Give us a chance to formulate some thoughts. Uh, yeah, on the game itself, my worry would be that, you know, to the backdrop of all this euphoria, Newcastle are running out of form a little bit, and the, the they're not playing badly, but I think where we find ourselves now is back where they were at the start of the season. Remember they drew seven of the, seven of the first eight? They weren't playing brilliantly. They weren't playing poorly. And we asked the question at the time, will those, will those draws turn into wins or, or will they turn into defeats? Now, I always had the absolute confidence in, 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 in Eddie Howe, uh, you know, as, a, as I always do. Uh, you know, my wife did warn me before coming here tonight. She said, don't talk about Eddie Howe again. She walks into the kitchen and I'll be on a podcast or something. And she'll just sort of roll her eyes and I'll, I'll come off and I'll say, listen, you know, that was, that was America. America needs to know. You know, they the, the need to know about Eddie. Uh, so I'm just spreading the words. So, so anyway, makes a change yeah. for talking about Steve Bruce. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> later, later. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the point I make is that at the start of the season, my absolute trust and confidence in those draws turned into victories was because of, because of the manager. And that remains now. But what needs to happen, you know, this season tells us the reason it did flip is because players started producing special moments. You know, Miguel Almiron, Callum Wilson. Almiron now, I think, is run dry, and I'm not convinced that he's going to be the man who turns it around again. You know, his, 
his phone book tells you that he's regressed it perhaps what he, what he always will be, and th there was a danger that that would, be a, that would be a purple patch. Where I've got confidence now is that an Anthony Gordon or an Alexander Isak could emerge as that person who, who just turns, as I say, those draws into victories, and of course Gordon won't be involved in the final, but for me, I don't know, what, what is there, two more games to go now? Yeah. By the time you get to the final, and you guys, I don't know what you think, you'd probably want Alexander Isak in the team, because he looks to me is the one big game player who, who is going to be a, a game changer right now. I look at Callum Wilson, and we all love Callum Wilson. We've all, you know, we've interviewed him, we've spoken to him, he's a good guy, you know. We've been accused of getting him into the England squad by, uh, by colleagues in the national press, but uh, I just look at him now, and I don't know, he's not, he's not moving correctly, he's, he's staying in the team, and Eddie's very loyal, but for me, I think the time has almost come in the next two to perhaps to perhaps change it up, and that would be a big call uh, if he was to take Callum out. So to give a sort of long-winded, boring, footbally answer, uh, to coming back to your question, I'm not as confident as I would have been on the back of the likes of Leicester and coming out of the, the World Cup break. I think they are just starting to stutter, uh, and I think it'll probably be a 50-50 game. That wasn't a short answer, was it? <laughs> it's definitely longer than yours. Um, I I, I think sometimes with these things and just looking back at history and cup finals I've covered that, I've gone to as a fan, I think sometimes your, na your name's written on the trophy. And what I mean by that is, I know, George... Don't, I don't say it. No, no. <laughs> what I mean by that is the way you've got to the final. So I always think the team who ends up winning it generally has a, some luck on the way there. And you look, at the, you look at what Newcastle have had three home matches, you know, Palace... Leicester and to remind me the other one, Bournemouth on the way there, one of them got the penalties. Even when you got to the semi-finals, you're thinking Man City here, unbelievably, Southampton going to beat Manchester City and you play Southampton away first at home the second leg. Everything has just went perfectly for Newcastle up until now. And now I know you're all, I can see you all looking at me like, <laughs> you've only been here for 10, 10 years and all that's what you're saying to me. <laughs> I've just got a little. I've just got a little feeling. It's 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 the time for Newcastle to do it. And listen, it's a 50-50 game. The two teams are very very similar in terms of standard, and you can see that in the league position. Um, in terms of team selection, I agree with Craig. I think that it'd be a great time to get Isak in, and a massive pitch like that with his pace over the top would be great. But I think Eddie Howe will stick with the tried and tested so long as Callum Wilson remains fit until then. I actually think Bruno, although it looked like a bit of a disaster, him getting. Uh, suspended, getting sent off and suspended. I actually think him having a couple of weeks break before the final is going to do him the world of good because I think he was one of the players that was beginning to look a little bit tired. I think it could go either way, but I've just got a, I don't know, like, get back to me if I'm wrong, but I've just got a funny feeling that this, this could be it and this could be the start of obviously something special moving forward. Um, I'm, I'm just giggling to myself because I've had a flashback. It was like this, this, the Steve Bruce comment, and it's just talking about an unrecognisable football club. You go back to that League Cup game against Burnley, the home game, and do you remember Newcastle lost on penalties? Yeah. And Steve Bruce said afterwards, the good news is that we haven't lost tonight. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to have a go. I'm not saying that particularly to have a go at him. Well, but Steve Bruce is the only man who I've ever heard use the phrase, we won that 2-2. Two -two. <laughs> But anyway, that is a you know that w that was the days when we had to cling cling to po cling to any positives, and here we are in a cup final. But but the people behind the scenes, owners all the way down to management staff, 
players are all different to those who've been involved before. The only co the only consistent thing here is the supporters, and I just think there's a different Newcastle now, and I think it's feel not to Burnley. Yeah. Not the Burnley, man. No, I just mean in general and getting to finals and cup semi-finals oh. and losing and not being able to get over the finishing yeah. line. I just felt that at the game the other night, um, last week, I just felt that I know there was a kind of panic, almost like a real nervousness maybe before the game and then once Southampton pulled it back, but having only sort of covered the club for 19 years, I didn't feel that. I just felt there was a real confidence and I got that from, I know the, the team kind of sat back a little bit. I think they managed the game well. I, I honestly don't think it was like nervy kicking the ball out of the park. I think they just thought, you know, what, we're going to go for it, kill the game early, get two goals and manage the game well. I, I was going to say, I agree with Keith. I think, I think the occasion was, was the facilitator of the nerves. If that had been a league game with a two-goal advantage, I don't think that same degree of tension would have been there. I was watching it and I thought they were in control, to be honest. No, I spoke, spoke to Dan Byrne after that match and put that to him and sort of said, is that second half, you know, was that a bit of the old Newcastle coming through? And he said, yeah, the crowd were nervous. I felt that. It's ingrained here. It's ingrained. But we didn't feel it. Yeah. That's what, that's what gives me confidence. Yeah, I, I thought it looked like that as well, yeah. The players looked in control. Brilliant. My take on the cup final is if you don't concede, you can't get beat. And we don't really concede. So I'm very confident. I thought we were the better That's team. Steve Bruce talking now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if only I knew as much about football as Steve. Um, yeah, we, we went to Old Trafford. If Joe Linton's neck muscles were a little bit bigger, would have won that game. Um, and, you know, Man United aren't great. They're in good form. And um, I just think this is such a big game for Newcastle United. Yeah, it's Man United's first final in five years. But Man United fans won't remember that Wembley weekend in 10 years' time. In, in maybe a couple of years' time, and I really think that the energy from the stands, from supporters, even the lads in period two over here that do exist, <laughs> will we'll, we'll see us home. I'm, I'm not travelling down to London with any other expectation, absolutely smashing those lads. It's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> the League Cup, the most important cup in history. Let's talk about January, lads. Uh, Newcastle signed Anthony Gordon. A uh, bit of conversation about Anthony Gordon, but is he worth it? Is it enough money? He took one touch, he fizzed the ball into Sean Longstaff, on Saturday, and I thought, fucking hell, what a player. <laughs> One touch. We'll smash these. We'll yeah. smash these. Yeah. My, mine made up. We're winning the cup. He's not playing, but we're winning the cup. Um, I don't know who wants to take this. Who, who, you know, January, I think there was an expectation from Newcastle fans as well. January, we kind of won the January transfer window last year. We, we arguably won the, the summer transfer window. The quality of the acquisition, the number of the acquisitions didn't quite happen this time. Who wants to kind of explain for everyone here tonight why Newcastle only went for one player in a position maybe fans didn't expect? What I'll say is, so Eddie went into the window with five central midfielders, and he plays with three. You wanted to come out with six, he's left the window with four. At that end, he's frustrated, and we've spoken to him, and he hasn't really attempted to, to, to hide that angst, really. And, you know, one or two little things you hear murmurings behind the scenes of, you know, Eddie feeling he's being left short in a, in a key area. Now, the, the midfielders, I suppose you guys want to hear names, you know, uh, going into the window, there was a conversation at the back end of December, start of January, about Scott McTominay. Eddie's a really big fan of his. Uh, Manchester United, you know, it, it was communicated through intermediaries, wouldn't be, wouldn't be willing to do a deal there. Jorginho was offered to them again by intermediaries. Now, there was people within the club who I think were, were for the Jorginho deal. They saw the sense in it. I don't think Eddie was, just didn't think he had the, had the legs to get around. Uh, in, in terms of that sort of high-energy uh, pressing style he wants from his midfielders. 
You then had Ruben Neves was floated, who I think is unanimously, you know, I think is one they like, and because of the contract situation, is maybe is one they'll, they'll revisit in the summer. But again, there's probably going to be a premium on his on his price and a lot of competition. So, so yeah, it, it sort of drifted along really, and I think they were set on on sticking with what they'd got, what they had, and then the John Joe Shelby offer from Nottingham Forest came in. Uh, and while Eddie perhaps didn't look at it like this, you know, John Joe had communicated he wanted the security of that contract, and the hierarchy would have looked at it, and if John Joe had come back, which he would have done, he was only two games away from triggering a 12-month extension, and this is a 30, 31-year-old on 70, 80,000 pound a week, and the club are going in a different direction to a, to a John Joe Shelby really type, you know, is as good a servant as he has been, so there was a very late inquiry for Sander Berg, uh, now Newcastle are only willing to do a, a loan deal there. Uh, they, they communicated that to Sheffield United. You know, there was part of your thought, could there be some sort of slowdy influence here at, uh, at a pretty high level? That didn't really materialise. He ended up he ended up staying there. And there was inquiries for the, the guys at Chelsea as well. Ruben Loftus-Cheek was just going to be too much money. Uh, and Conor Gallagher didn't want to leave Chelsea. And in the end, he's, you know, he stuck around and he, and he stayed there. So I think there is a degree of frustration. But I said to Keith on the, on the way in, Eddie Howe never expected to end January with Anthony Gordon. And he's got Anthony Gordon because Chris Wood went. I think they expected to go through with Harrison Ashby coming in and possibly a lone midfielder with maybe no, no one going out other than a, a Ryan Fraser or Carl Dahl or something like that. So for, it's bittersweet in many ways. He hasn't got the midfielder he wanted, but to pacify him, the, the owners have produced a £40 million player who was at the very top of his list. You know, this, this was a guy he really, really wanted. That, you know, the phrase they use behind the, the scenes is he's got elite level pace. That is what they want to try and exploit. And I've said this before in other places, if you're a 21-year-old Englishman, which coach do you want to work under in the country right now to bring about the absolute maximum in yourself? It, it's Eddie Howe. And I'm exci excited to see what Eddie can do with him. He had a bad time at Everton this season, which is probably why they've got him for 40 as opposed to 60. But yeah, if you're going to be exposed to anyone, it's going to be Eddie. And I just think it could, over time, prove to be an absolute steal. And certainly in 15, 20 minutes on, on Saturday, I thought he looked, he looked electric. I think um, I think getting Anthony Gordon in in January is, un is unbelievable business. And I think what Newcastle did is he took advantage of the situation at Everton very, very well to get someone who's going to be an England international moving forward for 40 plus £5 million in a January transfer window is similar to what they did last season, in my opinion, with Bruno Guimaraes. So I think if, if you'd asked Eddie Howe before the window opened, would he be happy losing? Because if you look at it, this one thing he kept saying is, he thinks or he wanted the squad to be, or he thought the squad could be stronger at the end of the window, but you'd struggle to improve the starting 11. He kept saying that over and over, but ironically, what's happened is, now if you include Anthony Gordon, the starting 11's actually stronger and the squad's a bit weaker because you've lost Chris Wood and Shelby. Now, he obviously didn't want to lose Chris Wood. I think we all kind of got a little bit of angst from him at his news conference that day, that he was he was frustrated that the, the club had essentially allowed Wood to go. Um, would, um, as I understand it, is earning um, nearly £40,000 more at Nottingham Forest than he was getting, getting at Newcastle. So you cannot, so you can, I know, so you, I know, so you cannot, so you can understand why, you can understand why 
Wood wanted to go. He knew he was third-choice striker at Newcastle, was getting the fleeting minutes every now and again, but Forrest are throwing big money to try and stay in the division, and they look at someone like Chris Wood and they say, look what, he, look what he's done at Newcastle last season. Now, John Joe Shelby's gone to Nottingham Forest on bigger money. Craig mentioned the wages that he was on. I'll let you guys work out what kind of money is on there. He's got a wage increase going there. Difficult, difficult for these players to say no to that, that level of wages that, that are on offer. They're, bo they're both over 30 years old, and they're getting two-and-a-half-year deals. But I think it's a mark of Eddie Howe as a person that he was willing to forgo the team and the squad and allow these guys to go because he knew it was better for them on a security level, on a, on a personal level. So, but despite all that, if someone had said to him at the start, would you have taken losing Shelby and Wood to bring in Gordon? I think it's part of the bigger picture in terms of the, build, the building blocks of where he sees the club in two, three years' time. So it wasn't an ideal window for him, but I think once you get to the end of the season, if you manage to stay injury-free, and of course it's a risk because the midfield situation at the moment is really, really, really difficult. But I think if you get to the end of the season and you've not had too many injuries and the club are top six, I think you look back and you say, do you know what, January was a brilliant window. Wouldn't Shelby going there for the money is almost like when you went to the Athletic, George? <laughs> yeah, for less, less work as well. It's the similar George, it, George didn't have Chris Wood's agent, unfortunately. Um, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll try not to like, repeat all of that, but I'll try and sort of add around the edges because um, central midfield was the priority before the window, but, so it's a good example of what can happen in a window. You know, which it's 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 not just about being active; it's also being reactive. And so, Wood and Shelby going were kind of compromises that Eddie Eddie has had to make. Um, the mantra from inside the club throughout has been long term, long term, long term. So, what they did with with Gordon was go back for a player that they were in for last summer and that they would have targeted this coming summer. I hate to be the person that brings up the phrase FFP or the collection of. Um, things that they now inside the club at the very top they say that in terms of defensive midfield those players just weren't available they weren't available so either the talent pool wasn't good enough or that the clubs that they wanted to do business with would not do business now Chelsea is the prime example of that really it's a massive compliment to Newcastle and where they are at the moment because they've owner to owner level, level they've got good relationships there um, Chelsea just would not do business Conor Gallagher, not what you would call a number six kind of player. They would have pushed the boat out for him, I think, but just just no chance that they that they would have done business. So that's something that Newcastle have faced and will continue to face. Newcastle argue, and they've done it on the record. Eddie Howe's done it. Dan Ashworth's done it. Darren Eel's done it. They're at their limit of FFP now. Um, I'm sure this is something, you know, I, w I won't talk about the kind of commercial side. I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that. They're at their very limit. They also say the same thing off the record, that with Gordon, they've pushed themselves to the very, very limit of FFP. And a window is always about moving parts. And the other thing about Anthony Gordon, you say uh, £40 million, you know, they spent £40 million. The reason that they've done that is that they've paid cash. They've paid cash up front now to get him. So... Um, Mashiri insisted again that that was principle to principle level, so Amanda and Murdad did that deal in person. Mashiri was asking for 60 million quid, they've got them for 40, but the, the, you know, the, the sting in the tail is that they've had to pay 40 million quid all in one go. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think um, I, I actually think he's. I think he's. I think he's actually already played enough. I think he's played. Stick, I think he's played enough to, to make stick, that an obligation. To, we have to stick up for Chris Wood. Come on, he played in all those games last season. In it, listen, Newcastle yeah, stayed up. Yeah, in, in his defence, he will always have. He came into a losing team and he played every game during a an eight match unbeaten run from his debut, pretty much. So he'll always have that legacy. Always get a good reception when he comes back. But yeah, let's talk about ownership a little bit. This time last year, when we did our show, uh, what? Back in 2022, May, you know, you guys have been around the owners a lot. They've done a lot of on-the-record stuff. We haven't heard from them as fans on the record since. And, you know, what, Newcastle are class, they're winning games. It's okay when, when all is going well. You don't expect to hear from your owners necessarily. How has it been for you three? Craig, I'll start with you. Is, is there been a change? Do they want to talk less? Is there a reason for that? You know, tell, tell us about your relationship with the owners, if that's okay. Yeah, good. Uh, and I think that's an edict from above. You know, George can probably speak about, I think you were the last person to speak to them pretty much on the record. Uh, is that right? Uh, that was a year ago. So yeah, yeah, and they haven't really spoken on the record with, with journalists since. Uh, Murdad spoke to me about nearly getting hit by a motorbike outside Anfield and it caused a, uh, and, and they weren't too happy inside the club that, that he'd done that. So I think there's an effort to sort of to, to bring them in a little bit. But... You know, what are they like, the goods? And we were just talking about this off stage, you know. There will come a time when Amanda and Murdad have probably got to step back from the from the hands-on uh, the hands-on element of it. I just don't think that time is now. And, and what they have done is, is, is genius, really, you know, because largely the same people, other than at the very top, your Dan Ashworth and, and Darren Eales and a couple of others, the same people within the club are, are largely the same. Uh, and it's just that they've just engaged. They've just turned it round. What they've done is, is is quite simple. And they, you know, take it from it. I was very sceptical for a long time during the takeover process, going all the way back to 2017, when it involved Amanda as to whether this would ever happen. And we were getting at the time, you know, very strong briefings from from the other side as to being a time waste or all the rest of it. But she stayed. She brought the Saudis to the table. And what they have done is just, it's incredible. It really, really is. And when I saw, when the camera cut to them, uh, the Southampton game, they're there with their little boy. Uh, you know, it was just a really special moment. And I just thought that was, it was just so, so nice for them. And uh, yeah, they, they, they're engaging, you know, they're, they're willing to, to spend time with us away from, away from the cameras and haven't got anything but, you know, good, positive things to say about them. I uh, think what they've done with the club is, is incredible. Yeah, and, and I, don't, I, don't think the, I don't think you could handpick 
any better individuals to be in the positions. I mean, you see what Dan Ashworth's done at Brighton. And you, I'm sure you all heard him talking before the Leicester game, I think it was, when we had him on Sky Sports. And you just you feel like you're hanging on his every word because he just talks so much sense. And it's almost strange to think there's someone in that position of power at Newcastle United who is so adept at this situation. And then obviously Darren Eales, who's who's been brought in from over in America and he's got an amazing CV as well. It feels like they're putting the building blocks in place. Interestingly, and George touched on it, the club's actually run behind the scenes very similar to what it was before, like whether it's a media team or the commercial department. So they're putting the right people in the right places and then seem to be building down the way from there. But, you know, I, I was the same as Craig. I had a bit of few reservations at first, given what we were hearing from, from the other side. But now looking at it, that was a that was a, a real mistake because the way they've reinvigorated the city, um, the, the, just seeing on a match day, the feeling around the place is just unbelievable. I mean, I'll go in a couple hours early just to go for a couple of beers or go for a bit of lunch just to try and savour it. And that's all That's all been because of them. And um, it has been, it's been amazing to see. It, it, listen, we would like it if they did more interviews. I'm sure we would like it. And obviously George has had a couple of exclusives after transfer windows and stuff. It'd be great if we got a bit more from them, but I can also understand why they're keeping that in-house as well. Well, I was with Amanda from the fucking start, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> um, in terms of why they don't do more stuff, I think that's pretty obvious. You know, it goes back to one of the phrases that was said, right, at the start of the takeover, process-driven. Things get snarled up when stuff goes back to PIF, and I think that's been, a, been, a, been an issue for them. I think they would naturally do more stuff, um, and, hopefully, and hopefully they will. At some point, there's going to be a documentary coming coming about Newcastle, which will be very interesting, um, and will also bring more money into the club. So that'll be, you know, that'll be good. Are we allowed to say that now, are we? About the <laughs> yeah. Well, it's coming. Yeah, it's, it's coming. already started, isn't I, it? I've, yeah. yeah, I've written that. I've, um, um, but it, I, I thought it was very, very important that it, towards the end of last year, um, Dan Ashworth and Darren Hills did speak publicly. Because for way too long, it's been the Newcastle manager or head coach who's been the front and centre of stuff. And whether that's Eddie Howe or Steve Bruce or Alan Pardew, all, the, you know, all of the rest of them, it's not fair. It's not fair on them that they've had to answer questions that are way beyond their remit um, and, and had, to be, had to be the figureheads of the club. Now, previous regime, it was cowardice. It was cowardice, pure and simple. It really was. Um, but now there's no excuse because they've got good football people um, who can take on matters of strategy and, you know, what's the big idea at the club, what are they doing? And I think it's been a source of kind of frustration internally that they've not been able to do more of that. Um, I think they will moving forward. Yeah, I mean, is this on? Is this still working? Yeah. Well, I can hear you, but I'm right next to you. The, the mic's working, lads, at the back. Yeah, yeah. 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 okay, good. Um, uh, I, think, I think they've done an extraordinary job. I mean... You know, obviously, one of the big the big narratives around the club is sports washing and and all the rest of it. But I mean, I remember speaking to to Amanda when her first version of the takeover was um, you know was was not going through. Um, but she was talking about the women's team then. She was talking about the foundation. She was talking about bringing um, you know former players back into the club fold and doing all that kind of important stuff. And all the big decisions, you have to say, okay, there was, a, there was a hiccup with Eddie Howe and Unai Emery and the rest of it. All the big decisions they've got right. You know, they've got right. Um, so, yeah, so fair play to them. I mean, in terms of them moving to, to, to one side, 
they can't at the moment. There's just way too much to do. I mean, they have serious people now in Eels and, and Ashworth, and that's great. And obviously, Ashworth took took a lot of the strain in January, but there is so much still to do at the club. Um, and you know, the longer they're involved, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Brilliant. Thanks. I would like to talk about the team now and the the race for the top four. I don't know how everyone feels in here. Um, Newcastle have a unique opportunity this season, in my opinion. Liverpool are shit. Chelsea, I don't even know what kind of adjective to ascribe to them. They're fucking mental. Um, <laughs> and they're not very good. So, so in terms of, you know, I think last time I sat on the stage with you guys, we talked about kind of pre-season expectations. What we wanted to happen, and I don't think any of us realistically, um, apart from Mark Douglas, who's not here, poor old Mark, did say Eddie Howe really wants a cup run. And uh, he's not here, so he can't cl- take that acclaim. Should turn up, Mark. Um, <laughs> but, but, but realistically, Newcastle are fourth in the league. They've been third in the league for a long time. How unexpected, Craig, to start with you, has, has Newcastle United's form be, been this season? And what do you attribute this excellence to? Eddie Howe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I sat here on that one on the, the eve of the season and I said top seven was realistic. You know, George, should, you just wanted it a season without relegation. And I said, no, I said they're better than that. You know, I just want a season off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if you look at the form, when was it? We were sat here August. You know, if you looked yeah. at the form between January and and May, it had them in the top four. So why would you step back from that? You know, and to, to find themselves where they are, and we were talking about this before. You know, would Champions League football this year would it be too much too soon? Would it come too quick for the football club? Now, for me, nothing can come too quickly for the football club and where they are because the whole point of, of what they're saying about FFP is. The money is there. The want to spend is there. The money will always be there because the, the, you know the Saudis have got, you know, the, the, the money is not the issue. It is the ability. To, the, it's the ability to spend it. It's to borrow Darren, e- Darren Eels' phrase. It's pushing back the guardrails of FFP. You know that is the that, that 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 that's the reason they can't spend what they want to. So if they qualify for the Champions League this year, okay, it presents a challenge from a squad perspective and having to do major surgery during the summer. But what it would then allow them to do is to spend more money quickly and that's what they want to do you know this club can't go fast quickly enough they want to accelerate their journey and i just think the position they're in now in the top four and it's basically going to be four from five you know if you're looking at it i don't think brighton and and fulham will maintain the challenge liverpool have gone chelsea have gone it's going to be a, a shootout between what is it newcastle spurs man united for the for the third fourth and fifth place so I just think where they are, they, they, they've got to go for it. They haven't got European football. They haven't got FA Cup football. They've got a one-off match left in the, in the Carabao Cup. Uh, maybe they're stuttering a little bit at the moment because they're distracted by that. But I think once the Carabao Cup is out of the way, and bear in mind, you know, there'll still be a lot of games left. It's, we're not at the juncture of the season we normally are at now because of the World Cup break. I just think they've really got to give it everything to, to get into that top four in, as long as Eddie Howe is manager of any team. I've got faith that they could probably potentially do it just just the one tiny little qualification i would i would kind of put on that is that i th- i think you know we, we have this almost danger it's like they're in the top three now they've got to do it they've got to do it well the idea is that they're there every year and i think you know once they get there they want to stay there and so internally at the club there, there's two things firstly at the start of the season their target was top 10 it was top 10. And they're having to kind of remind themselves of that now. And they're sort of saying, if we did finish six, we're not saying we will or should or whatever. That would still be a phenomenal season, bearing in mind 
you, you, bearing in mind where the club's been and in a cup final, obviously. So, and I think we all have to sort of understand that and recognise that. Now, the longer Newcastle go on in the top four, of course, it's... So, a year ago, that question that they were asking themselves inside the club and we were asking, yes, they spent £92 million, but have they done enough? Have they done enough? Was, was being asked. And again, there's been a bit of that feeling around this month. Have they done enough to qualify for the... To, you know, to stay in the top four? They don't recognise that as a, as a fair question because... It's, it's all long-term, it's FFP, they're on the FFP li limit, and they're not just going to bring in a body for the sake of it. That they, you, know, you look at what Chelsea have done uh, this last month, giving players eight-year contracts on 200 grand a week or you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's insane, and you can see where the trouble is that they're storing up for, the, for them. Sorry, I'm moving slightly away from the, from the question. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> You've answered it pretty well, to be fair. It was it was about Newcastle's challenge for the top four if they can maintain yes. it. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so um, obviously, they, they're desperate to do it. You know, they're desperate to, to 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 stay there and do it. But they're also pointing. You know, they're they're also very mindful of the examples of teams who've got ahead of you know broken into the top six probably unexpectedly. So you're talking about Leicester. You're talking about teams like West Ham in the past. You're talking about teams like uh, Everton. You're also talking about teams like Newcastle. You know that 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 one fifth under under Pardew and Ashley, when of course they didn't sign, they signed Vernon and Eater, and that was it. And you know the next season was a total fucking write off in the league, and put Pardew right under pressure. Newcastle are built differently, but they're not worried. You know, to use that word about not qualifying this season because they will get there, and then the idea is they stay there. Yeah, I think um, I think Eddie Howe's kind of given the owners almost a little bit, a bit of a problem because, as George says, they hadn't planned on getting there. But if they get there, they get there. Top four, great. I just feel if you win the cup in 19 days' time, I just don't think it, it matters really. I honestly don't think it matters. I think it can wait. I honestly think it can wait. It doesn't matter whether you finish six. Or I seven. disagree. You go. I disagree. Right. Um, I'll be pissed for four months. Who cares what I'd, happens? Uh, <laughs> I know, especially, I imagine it's half four... Oh, oh, I've woken up, it's July. It's also, it's also a half four kick-off on the Sunday afternoon after Trafalgar Square. Is anyone even going to be awake for the game after that? But, no, listen, Craig, I, t I take your point, and I do think it's a window of opportunity now, and why, why, not, why not go for it now if you can? And obviously, if you do qualify for the Champions League, the revenue that comes with that allows you to spend more in the summer, of course. But you look at the squad right now, and there's like 14 players, probably. There's, four, there's a squad of 14 who are really at that standard. And you get a couple of injuries. I know I'm maybe sounding a bit like Eddie Howe here, but you get a couple of injuries and, and you're struggling. We've seen that already. If you're a player and you're in that Newcastle starting 11, you're Callum Wilson, for example, or Almiron, and you're looking at the bench and you've got Isak and St. Maximin and Anthony Gordon waiting to come on. You're like, hang on. We're, but then suddenly when you look at the bench and you've got two or three players out and you don't really have anything to come on, I just feel it can play in the players' minds a little bit. And... I just think as the season goes on, I think it's going to be tougher. When you look at Spurs and you look at the resources they've got and the players have got and two players for every position, I think it's going to be harder to, to get into that top four. And I just don't want anyone come the end of the season to feel whether you win the trophy or not, that the season was a disappointment. I think, I think you need to look at the season and say it's been an amazing ride, an amazing journey. And even if you finish, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever it may be, I think you've got to look back at that and say this has been an amazing season. And as George said earlier, this season was all about just enjoying it and being back to the games again. And how enjoyable is it on a match day going to oh, yeah. Newcastle, Newcastle games, home and away? Yeah. 
I agree. It certainly wouldn't be a disappointment. Absolutely not. But you quite rightly said there, Keith, they've got a squad of, what, 14 first-team players, and I agree with that. What allows you the ability to, 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 to you know, apply greater surgery in the summer? Is that Europa League football or Champions League football? It's Champions League football. And if they've got the, the ability to, to go out and sign six players and take that from 14 to 20 first-team players, then, you know, Champions League football aids that. And I just think there's a danger if... You finish fifth or sixth into Europa League football next year and you're playing on a Thursday and a Sunday and it's given a little bit of time for Chelsea to get their act together, Liverpool to get their act together. Perhaps top four next year won't be anywhere near as achievable as what it is this year. So for me, and it comes back to Alex's question, I think they've got a unique opportunity. It's four goes into five. Uh, so for me, to that end, I think they should give it absolutely everything they can because, as I said, this club can't go quickly enough. Well, uh, but of course they're going to do everything they can. They're not going to stop trying, are they? I mean, you know, that's that's that's. I mean, I think I hope and think that's that's obvious. But I think we also have to recognise where they are. If you talk to again, if you talk to people at the top of the club, they'll say it's going to take three summer windows to get to where they want to be, and they've had one. So. Um, you know, I think that just gives an indication of of where they still have to go, and let's not, you know, let's not fall back into that thing where that season under Ashley, when they finished fifth, and he was pissed off, he was pissed off at finishing fifth, and that 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 tone stayed with the club. Now, Europa League and the rest of it and conference is is more of a challenge because it doesn't bring money in, but Europe would still be fucking amazing for us as journalists and fans and, you know, hopefully for players, that is a challenge to be, you know, it's a challenge to be embraced and, uh, you know, the chance to go on trips again and follow Newcastle abroad would be incredible. Champions League totally and utterly pump, pump primes, pump, pump prime, what? Prime pumps, what am I saying? Pump primes? <laughs> yes, I think possibly, yes. Um, you know, it, 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 it jump-starts them. Jump-starts them in terms of money and in terms of... Well, that's a different phrase. I've had to find a different phrase, Charlotte. Um, but it jump-starts the club in terms of money and prestige. But they can't go all out. I mean, they can't do anything now. I mean, apart from play games of football and try and win them, which, of course, they'll do. We know they do. What they said in January was that it was a false equation. They couldn't do any more because of FFP. And they also wouldn't do any more in terms of bringing in people that they weren't all convinced would make them better. There has to be a long-term plan. And instead of just throwing all the money in the world at the wall, like Chelsea are, and hoping some of it sticks, they're sticking to that plan. I think that's the right thing to do. I tell you what, how fun will the summer transfer window be if Champions League qualification is achieved? Because I reckon you need eight players. Not, not for us, it won't be fun. I know. <laughs> Dreading it already. <laughs> it's a good point, isn't it? Because... We saw Declan Rice play very well at St James's Park on Saturday, and um, he's only going to move. Can I, can I just interrupt slightly? Can you just cut that bit out when I had a heart attack on stage <laughs> about two minutes ago, please? No problem, George. Anything for you. But for, to attract the kind of player the club want, the players the club want long term, finishing Champions League is important because you don't have to sign a lower caliber of player who, a bit like Chris Wood, you have to move on if you reach the Champions League. For me, there's not enough talking down of our opposition. You know, Spurs, Newcastle are vulnerable to injuries. Spurs, if Harry Kane gets injured, Spurs are fucked. That's one injury. Newcastle, and I, and I appreciate you guys aren't saying we won't finish top four. That's not their argument they're making. But even amongst supporters, I kind of feel this a little bit of um, despondency about Newcastle's chances. Newcastle are unbeaten at home this season. Who's going to come and win at St. James's Park? Man City didn't. Arsenal might, but they probably won't. 
Newcastle have battered Fulham, in my opinion, in the second half. The, the, they should have put Crystal Palace to the sword. Whenever I watch Spurs play, it's these smash and grab wins. Yeah, they're defensively okay. I just think Newcastle are a better team than Tottenham Hotspur. And I don't think that's doing, you know, talking up Newcastle unreasonably. And I really think we'll get top four. I appreciate what you're saying. The club want top four. But to me, I'm not going to be sat here at the end of season show, which will have book tickets on sale soon. Um, <laughs> you know, really, really despondent if Newcastle have finished fifth. But Newcastle are better than Spurs. That they should finish ahead of them. Spurs have closed the gap in recent weeks. They've played a game more. They got, a, they got lucky at Fulham. I thought they got really lucky against Manchester City. I, I genuinely think Newcastle are better than Spurs and will finish in the top four. I would. I would go to war with you, Alex Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> Lead the way. Uh, Alex, just one thing you mentioned there about attracting Champions League players. The kind of word we were getting back last summer in James Madison was that he wanted to play Champions League football if he left Leicester. And obviously at, at that stage, Newcastle were coming into a new season. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. Then you get to January and you're looking, well, hang on, Newcastle are in the Champions League places here. Could it be more attractive? If you qualify for the Champions League, you're going to attract players like that. Because why, 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 why would you go to... If you, if you're straight, unless it's wages, if you've got if you've got Arsenal, Tottenham, or Newcastle, did you? There's not very much between them, you know. And it, like, the, th the, the lifestyle up here and just taking yourself away from everything else. I honestly think that if you get to the uh, qualify for the Champions League, players like that are obviously going to be more uh, more obtainable. I just think a lot of players last summer, and probably even now, even in January, weren't willing to take that risk. But if you qualify, then it just opens up everything for you. And it is just about the most exciting football project in the world right now. And this comes back to uh, when I was on radio on, on, on Thursday night and they said, yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's almost doing too good a job, isn't he? He's going to go to England next. I said, he's not. Honestly, I said, trust me, he's not. You know, the England job, and I think I said this at the last show, the England job is always the England job. It was the same 10 years ago, the same it is today, the same it is in 10 years' time. The job Eddie Howe is sat on now it's just it's once in a lifetime stuff. It really is with a football club reunited. You know the the, the money he's going to have to spend. The the, the it, every week is an occasion. Now it's in James's Park. It's just the most the most special place for you guys to watch football and for us guys to cover football. Eddie Howe is is, is going nowhere. And if I was a player anywhere else in world football right now, I'd be looking at what's happening in St. James's Park and thinking I want to be part of that. Totally agree. We'll finish off part one. Um, we're going to take we're going to take a break after this question for about twenty minutes. But final question, lads, just just tell the room your. I want to bring it back to Wembley. I can't fucking wait. <laughs> what what are your plans for the weekend? Talk us all through. You don't have to give us exact coordinates at you know specific times of the day, but what, you know how are you guys going to encounter it? Not just I know you will be at the game press box, but in terms of the weekend, what what do you want to see? What do you want to take in? How special is it going to be? Keith, you start, mate. Well, we've obviously got the game live on Sky, um, so as you'd imagine, there's all sorts of people working and covering it, covering it, etc. So I had to have a chat with my boss last week, and he said, "Well, Keith, we've got three guys on the live team. We've got." And I said, "Hang on a sec. I said, if I'm not going down to cover this game, I'm handing my P45, and I'm, I'm my notice and sorry, I am gone. And there's no way. And I'm like, okay, right, okay. So um, yeah, I think we've got about six reporters on it, like three for the live team, three for Sky Sports News, one covering Man United, one covering Newcastle, and one doing some stuff inside the stadium. So I'm travelling down. I went to try and get, actually went to get a try and get a train the morning after the semi-final against Southampton, and there was a few available at 9 and 9.30, and by the time I phoned the travel girl to go and book it, they were gone, like completely gone. And I think she was, oh, don't worry, more will come on. I said, I'm not taking that risk. So I'm, I'm, I'm flying down on the, on the, sa on the Saturday lunchtime, um, just in time for Trafalgar Square opening up. Um, 
overnight and then obviously after the game and then back on the Monday. But my, my biggest concern with all of this was with my flight back, and I can't believe I was thinking this, is am I going to be back in time for the Open Top Bus Tour? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if they're having one, I don't know what the plan is, but I was looking going, well, that half two flight home get me back in time because it's going to get dark about half five and then, so anyway, but no. So that's our plan, down for two nights. Listen, really looking forward to it. I know this is probably sacrilege saying it in here, but obviously covered Sunderland a few years ago when they went down there and... I know, and but honestly, it was amazing just to see the place taking over. I can only see you guys doing it and some. Like, it's going to be unbelievable, unbelievable to witness, unbelievable to be part of. And I was saying to Sky Sports News, look, it's not about the build-up to the game, it's about the night before. That is where the, the action's going to be. And I just, I can't, I can't wait to witness it with my own eyes, to be honest. Well, yeah, I'm flying with you, Ronna, Keith. Uh, I, was, I was down in London last week uh, in, after Newcastle had qualified for the final, and I honestly thought my best bet of getting to the final was probably just to stay in London. Uh, <laughs> such, such was the demand for, for tickets and all the rest of it. So, so no, um, let me and Keith are flying down on, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, by the way, the cost of the flights, it was cheaper to fly to New York than it was to fly to, uh, to Heathrow by the time me and uh, Keith got our act together. So, so now we'll be, we'll be getting there mid-afternoon and I'll be going straight to Trafalgar Square with a selfie stick. Uh, and, and, yeah, so. and loads of people will be shouting at you, YouTube, Craig. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. On the subject of that, I did get a bit of stick the other week. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. Uh, I'll get it now. I'll get it now. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you don't know, I've started doing my little YouTube videos with my selfie stick. And uh, yeah, do them at Newcastle and the response is always sort of really nice. Um, well, hello again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but for some reason, I decided to do one after Sunderland v Middlesbrough uh, the other week, and I was walking down to St Peter's Metro Station, and I started getting sort of barracked from, be- uh, fr- fr- from behind by a group who I subsequently spoke to. It was a, a mix of corporate Middlesbrough and Sunderland fans, and they're okay, but they had one dickhead amongst them. And if you listen back to the video, this is caught at the very end, and they're watching me walk from behind. And the guy goes, uh, have you seen his fucking legs? I thought rickets went out in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you had a point. Look at these fuckers. Look at that. So, uh, yeah, being trolled by Teesside fucking Tintin live on air wasn't the best feeling in the world. So if you do see me with a selfie stick in Trafalgar Square, please be kind. I'm tempted to try and do that joke again, but you tube... Craig. Does that work? No. No, no. Okay. I thought tube was an insult. Okay. Uh, plan for Wembley. Um, Going to go down on... No, no. In the 80s, like Ricketts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go down on the Thursday. Um, I just want to make the most of it. Thursday? For, yeah. Well, I, that's the only train I could get. That's the only train I could get. Uh, I spoke to my next-door neighbour before the second leg of the Southampton game, and um, he said, oh, yeah, I'm all sorted. I'm all sorted for Wembley. And I said, really, already? It's like, I can't, I can't face it. I can't face it till after the game. Yeah, oh, no, I've booked my hotel, booked my hotel. Really, you booked it already? You booked it already? No, I booked it after Tranmere. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I'm going to go down on Thursday. I think Friday you might be doing a little soiree in London, Alex. I'm going to do that. Uh, Saturday, just the mayhem of it. Can't wait to just soak that up with friends, family, and colleagues, and just yeah, just feel that, see what it's like. 
Sunday, we'll have a job to do. Um, Thursday, 2024, wake up on a park bench. <laughs> Don't really care. But me and Keith were actually saying as well that we're, as reporters, we're kind of scared of Newcastle winning. We're not sure if we're ready for this yet. It's, it's quite intimidating, the fact that, you know, we could be being asked for the, the, you know, the story, how did Eddie do it, and, and all the rest of it. It's like... Just give us 12 more months to formulate our thoughts. It's, uh, yeah, a little bit intimidating. But saying that, if they do win, you know, obviously that is the preference. Thanks to George, Craig and Keith for their brilliant contributions there. Entertaining and informative, as always. Thanks to the live crowd as well for being uh, such a good crowd and also to the stand for being a brilliant host. Part two is on our Patreon platform now. Link in the description to this podcast and it keeps this podcast going. We do probably seven to eight, if not more, extra of these pods every single week so you could listen to us daily if this is the kind of thing that you like, talking about Newcastle United. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Speak to you all very soon. Ta-da.